Hey everybody, welcome back to the Half Hour of Power. Joe Diesel here. We have Jeremy sitting in uh, tonight. Jeremy, there? Yes, I am. Great. Hey, we got a great show lined up. There is a movie that you and I both really enjoy that is 20 years old this Christmas. 20 years ago this Christmas, this movie came out, and that is Tombstone. Can you believe that, Jeremy? Hard to believe it's been 20 years already. Time does fly by. Makes you feel old. Yeah, it <laughs> it really has been a while. I mean, uh, I remember watching a trailer for this uh, before it came out. Think, oh, that looks pretty good. I want to go check that out. Uh, what do you think about that, Jeremy? When you first well, saw the trailers I, for Tombstone. I'm a huge Western fan, and I'm a big fan of the Gunfight Corral. And I've been a lot studying on it. And so when I saw that trailer, it just I it had me pumped. I was pumping at the bits to get in there and see it. And I wasn't disappointed. I loved that film, and I, I love watching it to this very day. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about uh, Tombstone, uh, some some historical aspects of it, uh, some uh, some of the filmmaking aspects of it. So uh, let's uh, let's just jump right into this. Uh, obviously, this is about, as you just mentioned, the uh, gunfight at the OK Corral. So that's the first half of the movie. The second half of the movie is about the Earp Vendetta ride. And uh, can you just explain the Vendetta ride briefly, Jeremy? Vendetta ride um, occurred after Virgil and Morgan Earp, the brothers of Wyatt Earp, were ambushed. Uh, Virgil was badly wounded and Morgan was killed. And Wyatt, in a, this time and place where there was really no solid law and order, he could not get justice for his brothers. So he decided to put together a posse, which I always call the super posse, and uh, they go out to supposedly serve warrants, but it's more to exact revenge, vengeance, on um, these cowboys who... Um, wounded and murdered his family. And that's what the Earp Vendetta Ride's all about. Yeah, that was a pretty uh pretty bloody sort of gruesome undertaking in spots, wasn't it? Uh yes, it, it took place uh in less than a month in real life. Oh God, I can't remember it's like uh, I think uh Yeah it did. From... It was uh, March March twentieth to April fifteenth, eighteen eighty two, and that is that is the march after the OK Corral shootout, and that was October 26th of 1881 when that actually happened. So you got that. So we got that all set up. So uh, now the OK Corral itself, that whole the whole story of the gunfight, that's been that is so interwoven in popular culture. It's probably the most famous uh, gunfight from the Old West. From the you know the history of the old west, I mean it's even been, made it into a Star Trek episode. So <laughs> that's pretty rough. But uh, you and I were t- you and I were talking uh, earlier, and you were telling me that it really wasn't known as the OK Corral gunfight until when? Until um, the movie 1957 movie of the same name, Gunfight at the OK Corral. Um, until then, that's the one with Burt Lancaster and uh, Kirk Douglas, isn't it? That's correct. That is the one. And until you know, up until that point, it was just known as like the shootout, the showdown, and 
Well, I think the closest it gets is in Stuart Lake's, um, um, you know, fictionalized biography writer, Prince Marshall, where it's described as the gunfight near the OK Corral, because as we know, the the gunfight didn't actually take place at the OK Corral. It took place uh, in a vacant lot on Fremont Street, about a block away from the OK Corral. Had it taken place in the OK Corral, um, Virgil Earp was going down there with his brothers and Doc Holliday to serve warrants against the Cowboys for carrying firearms within town limits, which was illegal. And that's why they were going down there to arrest them. But had they actually tried to arrest them in the OK Corral, they would not have been able to legally arrest them because okay, a corral is not considered part of a town. It's a no-man's land between the town and the outer region. Um, and so had it actually taken place there, then they would, the Earths would have been in trouble for the um, gunfight that ensued there as a result. Yeah, so so they uh, so you set up the gunfight and uh, sort of the events lead it right before the gunfight. So let let's jump into the movie here a bit. Um, you and I both are students of history. We both enjoy history a lot. So <laughs> we're going to be talking about a little bit of history with this also. Let's just jump right into the movie. So we're we're both wanting to see it. The movie comes out. We finally get to go see it. It, it came out December twenty fourth, nineteen ninety three. So that's uh, it's, it was a Christmas movie. And uh, thinking about that now, I I don't remember it being a Christmas movie, but it was. Uh, I guess it's Christmassy, isn't it? I mean, it's colorful, and vibrant, and fun and fast, <laughs> right? I think someone wears a red shirt in that movie. Yeah, yeah he does. So, so okay. So you got uh, you got the cast there. You got obviously Kurt Russell there is uh, wider. You got who's Doc Holliday? Uh, Val Kilmer does a terrific job. He's the most charismatic Doc Holliday. Yeah, you got Val Kilmer. I mean, you got a terrific cast in this. You got Sam Elliott. You have Bill Paxton. You have Powers Booth. You have Michael Bean. You have Michael Rooker. I mean, I can go on and on. Milton Heston. Right. <laughs> What's that? The Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. You got Stephen Lane. You have the wings guy, <laughs> as you called him at the time. <laughs> but that that is a, a great ca- and not to mention Billy Zane and Jason Priestley. And there's still and Bob other Thornton. people left out. What's that? Billy Bob Thornton has a cameo. And Billy Bob Thornton also. So this is, this has got a huge cast. It's got I think a really good cast. I. I didn't see anybody in there that I thought was wow. They seem out of place. Did you? No, everyone uh, did a very, very good job in it. So you got this really, really good cast. Let's talk a little bit about uh, who else was attached to the movie before it was made, and that was Kevin Costner. Now he was actually attached to this movie before it was made, and they had a disagreement over the direction of it what it should be about. Kevin Costner wanted it to be more a biopic about Wyatt Earp only. And the reports are, uh, it was between him and Kurt Russell from what I've read. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but Kurt Russell liked the script that Kevin Jari wrote. And Kevin Jari, can you explain a little bit about what he had written? Kevin Jari had, uh, basically it was, a story that covered all of the characters and the events uh, that led up that was the events of Tombstone. 
everything led up to the gunfight to OK Corral, the after events with the Vendetta ride, but it all centered around Tombstone and all of these colorful characters, these larger-than-life characters like Curly Bill Brosius and um, Johnny Ringo and Billy Breckenridge and, you know, the Clans and the McCleary's and just so many characters it covered. And White Earp and his brothers and all of them were a part of that. And, um, yeah, uh, not, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Costner didn't want that. He just wanted to focus, like you said, primarily on White Earp, starting from White Earp's youth all the way up through Tombstone to him being an old man. And, you know, that's just not what Kevin Jory was wanting to cover because Kevin Jory was supposed to direct the movie as well as write it at the time. Yeah, so they parted ways, and uh, what ended up from Kevin Costner leaving is the Wyatt Earp movie that came out not that long later. Uh, a few months later it came out. And uh, what was that? You and I also went to see Wyatt Earp. What was that quote that came from Costner's camp about the difference between the two films? Uh, they said that uh, going to see Tombstone is like going to see fast food, and going to see White Earp is like going to see, you know, going to a fine restaurant, you know, uh, with your maitre d' and blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah which I've always found odd because uh, Kevin Jarrett seemed like a student of history and really wanted to try and cram as much historical things in his script as he could. And yeah. reports are that his script was just too big and too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, the, uh, wa- he wanted it to be a big sweeping epic also And Tombstone kind of is Really, would you say? It, I mean, it, it's it's got an epic scope, really it, it, is, it has a very epic scope But, it was, of course, it was stunted by the producers Because they didn't they were afraid for it to be too long you know, they, I guess a lot of people think When they think of a Western You think of, uh, you know, a short Violent action, shoot 'em up movie. It's maybe an hour and a half, uh, maybe two hours tops. But this movie could have easily gone at least three hours. There were so many characters, and Kevin Jari, every character in that movie, and there's a lot of characters. They all have their own little stories and resolutions to their stories. And um, the, the producers were like, oh, "We, you know, we need you to cut this down. Is there any way you can like cut out some of these characters?" And he's like, "No, I can't do that. This is not. You know, this is how I pictured it, and I need to do it this way." And so they finally said, okay, sorry, and they got rid of him. And so now the movie's yeah. in danger of falling apart before it's even started. So uh, Kurt Russell finally steps up and goes, okay, I'll direct it, but I'll, I'll shadow direct it. And what I'll do is, um, you know, he talked to his friend, Sylvester Stallone, and Stallone said, said uh, hey, get uh, George Pucos Motus in there, uh, because, you know, George Pucos Motus um, uh, direct, uh, basically directed, um, what's that, um, First Blood Part Two, with Sylvester uh, yep. Stallone uh, uh, shadow directing. So that's what Kurt Russell did. He brought George P. Cummings in to um, keep the ship from sinking. And then, you know, um, together the two of them worked um, worked out a way of uh, directing together, side by side. And so, yeah, so that's how they got the movie made. Yeah, and that movie could have ended up being a mess. I don't think it ended up being a mess. I really enjoy it. And uh, since, since we're talking about Wyatt Earp right now and uh, the difference between the two, I remember my first impression after seeing Wyatt Earp was that was really kind of dull. And uh, was that your impression also? Yeah, well, you know, one thing is they sucked all the color out of it. They have that tin-type look to it because they, they people seem to have the ideal that Every Western has to have uh, all the color drained out of it because that's how you see it in all the pictures. 
you know, go figure. And, yeah, the story itself is uh, long and dragging and uh, just out of proportion. You know, you got, like, nothing really seems to run smoothly in that movie. It's uh, all the way up to the very end. They're striving to make their point, and it doesn't seem like they ever really make their point about, you know, uh, that, that, whole, that old saying about when um, truth, when legend becomes truth, print the legend. And uh, it's just a very dull movie. The the cast looked like they were bored and sleepwalking through it. And, you know, you compare that to Food Zone, which is just colorful, larger than life, and all the actors are almost just exploding off the screen. It's just a big difference. Yeah, and uh, and if you watch the making of Food Zone, you know, they do talk about that, the color and, and everything, and the way that uh, they actually work. The, the characters they actually did wear color. They didn't run around in browns and blacks and all that all the time, and you know greens and all that. But but as you and I were talking uh, earlier, the Wyatt Earp and Tombstone they're both about historical events, and you know but they're not actually textbook history. They're trying to tell the story of these events, but they're also need to make money and you know get an audience. And one of the things that uh, always struck me about both of them was when I watch Tombstone, I think it makes history come alive. It gets me excited about history and wanting to go, wow, who the heck was uh, Wyatt Earp and Curly Bill and all these guys? Oh, and the other thing is, oh, that person's real too? Johnny Behan's a real person? Oh, wow, okay. To me, that's what that movie does, if that makes any sense. It jumps out and makes history alive and makes it vibrant. It makes me want to go read about it. Whereas uh, the movie Wyatt Earp makes me want to go to sleep. Oh, Does that make any sense, Jeremy, or am I way off base? No, I mean, it's true. I mean, like you said, you watch Wyatt Earp and you're like, ah, is history as boring as this movie is? I'm never going to read up on this character. Yeah, you know. But Tombstone, I had the same effect when I first saw Young Guns um, when I was a kid. And that movie made me uh, want to go find out who Billy the Kid was and how much was legend, how much was fact, and, you know, were the two you know, diverged, and it's, yeah, the the best movies based on historical events make you want to go out and learn more about those historical events. But they have to be simplified in terms of movie making because you know, that's just the way it is for film. Is, you know, all films have to be simplified. Uh, yeah, exactly, because if you were to take every single bit that happened, the whole lead-up to the gunfight, the whole aftermath of the gunfight leading up to the vendetta ride, because there's a bit in between the vendetta ride and the gunfight. Oh, yeah. And make that into a movie. It's going to be, that's just going to be really, really long. And, and it's not, I don't know how exciting you can make all of that. Does that make any sense? I mean, you got you want to catch people's attention, capture their imagination, and get them to uh, get excited about it. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, we'll, we'll get more into this when we come back. We're up against a, a hard break here right now. But we'll get right back into this. Are you tired of your dead-end job? Do you long for a career path that will fulfill your wildest hopes, dreams, and fantasies? Then look no further. Get to that phone and call the Doc Holiday Memorial School of Dentistry. That's right, the Doc Holiday Memorial School of Dentistry. This is the only school of dentistry endorsed by the estate of the legendary gunslinging dentist, John Doc Holiday. 
At the Doc Holliday Memorial School of Dentistry, you will learn the fine art of drinking whiskey in saloons, playing cards, dealing with tuberculosis, gunning down your enemies, playing the piano, speaking Latin, and loyalty to your friends. You will learn it all at the Doc Holliday Memorial School of Dentistry. Call today and reserve your spot as space is limited. Start living your dreams today at the Doc Holliday Memorial School of Dentistry. Warning, at the Doc Holliday Memorial School of Dentistry, you will not learn to be a dentist. You will be injected with tuberculosis to get the full Doc Holliday Memorial School of Dentistry experience. This will kill you. All right, we're back here. We were talking about uh, Tombstone. Now, uh, we talked a little bit about the cast and everything, and we haven't talked about the score yet. And I remember this score is just, it really gets you pumped up, and I think it really fits the movie very well. What do you think about that, Jeremy? The music by Bruce Blanton? Yes, it's... um... It it has a very western-y feel to it, but at the same time... um... Some uh, modern pump up here, like you said, here and there, it gets you like really um, up in your seat. Like the the end score when you see White and them walking down towards the OK Corral during the credit sequence at the very end. And uh, yeah, it's very um, yeah, it really gets you going. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it does. It's great. It's a it's a great score, and uh, there's uh, I. We talked a little bit about the costume. The costume is great. The set, they shot that uh, outdoors. You know, they didn't shoot that on the back lot. They shot it not very far away from where Tombstone is, from according to the documentary. They built uh, some of the town. They went through uh, painstaking planning to really try and get that right. Now, what do you what do you think about that, Jerry? What do you think about the set of that? Uh, yeah, um, everything in there, they tried to be as authentic as possible, down to the guns they carried, the hats, and everything had to be of the time period. Um, yeah, the uh, town itself, uh, very authentic looking. And uh, like you said, they only they uh, built it only um, not too far away from the actual uh, town of Tombstone. And I believe um, uh, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer actually went over to Tombstone in between uh, shooting, uh, you know, and looked around and... They bought each other uh, tracts of land out there to ranch on, and so yeah, it's, it's you know very authentic looking western. They uh, made sure to make it as authentic as possible. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at it, it looks it's got a great look to it. Cinematography is great. And we talked about the cast, we talked about the score. I mean, the, Charlton Heston. Who is Charlton Heston in this? He played uh, the rancher Henry Hooker, and he's the rancher Wait. that takes in. In his posse. Now, is Henry Hooker a real person? Yes, yes, he was. And uh, he was uh, one of the few people who would actually take in White and his posse when they were being pursued by uh, the um, posse led by the sheriff, John Bean. But it, John Bean's posse consisted of mainly cowboys and people, you know, these outlaws and uh, murderers and robbers who were uh, trying to basically kill White and his uh, posse. And a lot of the ranchers were afraid of them, and so then they they kept turning White and his uh, posse away. And then uh, finally Hooker took him in and said, hey, you can stay here, fortify my place, and uh, we'll fight them together. And White was like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, so Wyatt took his posse out to a hill 
uh, called Riley Hill. And um, then Hooker told uh, Bian in the posse that came there, he goes, they're waiting for you up there if you want to go get them. And, of course, Bian turned his posse around and went the opposite direction. <laughs> so they got the, – we're in the – we'll talk about the vendetta ride and these events here after after the uh, gunfight here since we were talking about Hooker here. Now, how, how much of that is uh, – uh, like for instance, uh, the killing of Curly Bill. How, mu- how much of that is accurate? The, the thing with the killing of Curly Bill, all we have to really go with on that is Wyatt Earp's testimony. Um, there's no real, there's real no, there's no real proof that uh, Curly Bill was ever actually killed by Speaking Spring, other than what Wyatt Earp has uh, told his biographer, basically. And um, of course, the thing is that uh, Curly Bill was never heard from again after that. So, you know, we don't know. Uh, you know, is White telling the truth? Is he not telling the truth? Who knows? But it makes yeah, a good exactly. Story. He's, he's the one that survived, so he can tell it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it makes a good story, though. Yeah, it, it does. And uh, one of the other things, as I was looking, uh, you know, refreshing my memory about all this, was the events that took place in between the shootout at the O.K. Corral and the uh, – Vendetta ride. Uh, the Earps actually tried to go about it in a uh, lawful manner. <laughs> they actually tried to arrest them. They tried to serve warrants. They tried to, uh, you know, they tried to go about it without doing a vengeance type thing. But and it sort of glossed over in the movie, and I can kind of see why. You want to keep moving along, like we had already we previously discussed about. But. Uh, you told me the story of uh, who, I don't know if he actually gave Wyatt the idea that he should do this, but what was that story, Jeremy? Well, um, they they had arrested some of the cowboys uh, suspected of shooting Wyatt's brothers, um, but they all had alibis they held up, and so they were allowed to go. And so this judge named Stilwell tells Wyatt that, you know, next time you go out to arrest these guys, I'd just leave them in the brush because, you know, leave them in the brush where alibis don't mean anything. You know, so basically this judge is telling him, uh, you know, next time you see them, kill them. And then we don't have to worry about this now, will we? So do you think that uh, sort of gave Wyatt the idea to do this, or do you think he was going to end up doing it anyway? He was, I think he was going to end up doing it anyway because, I mean, Wyatt – is very close. He's a very close family man. Uh, his family means a lot to him. And um, when they, when what happened to them happened, I think especially Morgan. Morgan was Wyatt's favorite brother, and uh, his his murder is what led him to put together the posse in the first place and go on this. Uh, I mean, vengeance ride. He tore that area apart looking for those cowboys and ended up killing four of them. All right. Now, in the movie Tombstone, it calls the gang the Cowboys. That's really what they're called, isn't it? Not really in real life. I mean, that, that's more or less uh, for the movie, you know, giving the red sashes, calling the Cowboys, kind of put them into that bad guy camp. It's more of a white hat versus a black hat in the movie. You know, real life was a little more different than that. There were a lot of Cowboys. There were a lot of ranchers. Most of them were farmers and ranchers. And, you know, some of them worked as cowboys, but I don't think they were ever officially called cowboys. Okay, so that was a device for the movie. 
Yeah, more more or less, I believe it was. Oh, okay. So, um, one of the other things I want to talk about, we didn't talk about yet, was uh, they actually had written into the script Old Man Clanton. Yes. And uh, they were going to have Robert Mitchum play Old Man Clanton. Yep, Robert Mitchum. And that's how the original, uh, it was going to begin with Robert Mitchum and some of his boys killing some um, Mexican um, soldiers. And a lot of, um, Robert Mitchum, what happened was his horse, he got thrown from his horse or something like that. He had some kind of accident, and he wasn't able to continue filming. So he just became the narrator, that he narrates the opening and ending of the film. And a lot, most of his dialogue was given to Curly Bill Brosius then. Curly Bill was promoted to the head honcho after that. Curly Bill yeah, sort of was the, the founder of the feast. That was Roger Walker mentioned Little Man Clanton saying that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Robert Mitchum, you know, he's a, he's been around for a long time. He's been in a few westerns. So that would have been really cool to see him in that role. Shame that didn't happen. Yeah, that would have been really yeah. cool. To see him. Oh yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, that didn't happen. So we got uh, the narration was nice. It was pretty cool. Oh yeah, and uh, you know we did get Charlton Heston. He had been in a few westerns. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a few in his point. Yeah, just a few. So. Yeah, you know, I, I said that to sort of illustrate, you know, he they really did try to put as much as they could in there, as much as these little tidbits, historical facts in there, or that were from the historical accounts that people had given, you know. Like uh, you and I were talking about, uh, after the movie came out, I remember talking about this. It's like, why did, uh, at the very end, why did Doc look down at his feet and say that? And you knew exactly why, and you told me. And why does he? What, what did he do? What did he look at his feet and say? What did he? What was that? Well, at the very end of it, as he's laying in bed dying from tuberculosis, he looks down at his feet and he sees his boots are off, and he goes, "I'll be damned." This is funny because he always swore he would die with his boots on rather than die from this disease. And uh, as it turned out, that wasn't the way it happened. He ended up dying from the disease instead with his boots off. Yeah, and, and uh, there, there's a lot of other little lines in there that they put in there, like uh, Wyatt's line there uh, when Ike Clanton runs at him in the gunfight. What's that? I, I thought that was a great line, and it seems like it's not. Seems like it's not a real line, but it was reported that he said that. Despite his commence, that line. It was Wyatt's line. Despite his commence, get to fighting or get away. Yeah. I don't know if some people, when they watch it, they think that that's a Hollywood, Hollywoodized bits or what, because, you know, when you read the historical councils are in there, that bit, that bit, and also uh, the bit where, uh, I believe it was also in the fight where, I forget the name of the guy who uh, has uh, Doc at point blank range. I got yeah, you now. Uh, What's yeah, that? That's Frank McClory. Keep uh, the audience-wise. Keep in mind that uh, one of the reasons why this gunfight is so famous is because it has so many witnesses to it. The entire town is basically witness to this gunfight. So uh, yeah, there's a scene um, in the movie which happened in real life where Frank McClory, who was the deadliest of the gunfighters there that day on the cowboy side, 
points his gun at Doc and says, I've got you now, Doc, you son of a bitch. And Doc um, tells him, um, you're a daisy if you do. Yeah, so th- those are actually reported. Those weren't just made up for the movie. And uh, I guess if you watch it and you don't go to look it up, it can seem like it is made up for the movie, can it? Mm-hmm. It, it can. But uh, it, it's not. So I've always been... I mean, it's not... No movie is ever going to be 100% historically accurate. Uh, it, it just can't. <laughs> but... Uh, Ultimately, uh, even if a movie is based on a historical event, it's still ultimately a piece of fiction because, you know, you're taking what actually happened and fictionalizing it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Now, uh, yeah, we've been going on about Tombstone, and we could go on longer. But, you know, you and I, we both like this movie, and we both enjoy reading about history and learning about the real events behind it movies, but we're really coming up against the end right now. This just flew right on by. So, what are your final thoughts on this, Jerry? It's 20 years since Tombstone came out. What, what uh, you think history's been kind to the movie itself? Or what? No, oh, yes. I mean, this movie is still uh, much loved. It's considered uh, one of the top ten greatest questions of all time. And, you know, Wyatt Earp, he lived a, uh, a very interesting life, and he's like the epitome of the stoic Western lawman. Many of the adventures that made him famous are portrayed in this film. So, I mean, definitely, if you love Westerns, this is a film you should see. It is a wonderful, beautiful, moving film. I cannot recommend it enough. Oh, yeah, I totally second that. Uh, It's a wonderful, rousing, entertaining, heck of an entertaining Western. It really uh, makes history come alive and... For me, maybe I want to go read uh, more history about what mm-hmm. actually happened and just showed you how fun history can be. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, and about as accurate as they've gotten, too, with the legend, so definitely. Yeah, so definitely, if you haven't watched this or if you've heard the, the things about it, you think it's just a Hollywoodized Western and it's just uh, a little piece of clap track, you really need to give this a second look and check it out. Because, uh, like we talked about, we think the cast is awesome. Uh, I totally agree with Jeremy. Kurt Russell is the best wide herb I've seen. Uh, Val Kilmer is my favorite Doc Holliday. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, like I said, we could go on, and if we had time, we would. But we don't, so we will uh, see you guys next time. We hope you enjoyed this uh, as we did. All right, thanks for sitting in, Jeremy. Thank you for having me.